Welcome to CUCC's Sermons for Everyone. No matter who you are or where you find yourself on life's journey, we're glad you've tuned in, and we hope you find meaning in this week's sermon. Well, well, friends. How about we open up this ancient and sacred text once again and see if there's something relevant and life-giving for us this morning. Now, as many of you know, I've been talking about wanting to dig into the book of Leviticus for a while now. And I know, you don't have to say it. You're pretty excited too. And if you have no idea what the book of Leviticus is about or why people might have just laughed, it's okay, they probably haven't read it either. (laughs) And I can hardly blame them because you see, the church doesn't typically read Leviticus. The, The capital C church has a device called the Revised Common Lectionary. It's essentially a calendar which offers pastors four carefully curated scripture passages that can be preached on every week on a three-year cycle, which means you can look out three years in advance and know exactly what you might preach on. The administrator in me loves the idea. However, I did say that they are carefully curated passages, right? So do you know how many times the book of Leviticus comes up in that three-year cycle? Once, three, I mean, that still would have been bad. (laughs) Once, one time, one Sunday, in three years, there are five verses, and they're not even sequential verses. There are five verses offered as an Old Testament reading for the Sunday, and they just so happen to fall on the same Sunday that Jesus teaches about loving your neighbor as yourself. So you can guess how many pastors choose the Leviticus option. But we do things differently around here, or at least we have been. We vulnerably, and I think courageously, read the whole thing because we are questioning, curious folk, because we're trying to deepen and broaden our faith and understanding, not just be, it's gonna sound harsh, consumers of, of curated Christianity. Has anyone here ever tried to read the Bible start to finish, like the whole thing. There's gotta be a couple, right? Lori, when I first got here, your son Aaron and I read through the whole thing together. And then when he finished, he's like, Josh, do you have a copy of the Quran? I was like, yes, but don't tell your mom where you got it. Um, so this is how it goes. I read, I read the Bible start to finish for the first time as a a 17-year-old Canadian with an authority problem who just assumed that pastors were leaving good parts out. And so, yes, I think I was born this way. <laughs> Here's how it goes. You, you start in Genesis, and things are pretty cool. A, a little hard at first. It can feel a little mythological. And then you hit Abraham, and things get exciting, 
the story picks up. There's, there's energy, excitement, there's love tri- triangles, there's family feuds, there's powerful empires. You flip the page in Exodus as we did together and you become captivated with Moses, annoyed with the people, sometimes a little afraid of God, but it's still exciting. And then you flip the page to Leviticus and it's very different, right? It's like you ran into a literary brick wall. There's practically no narrative, practically no characters. There's not much of anything other than page after page of laws, rituals, and prescriptions for communal living. It is 24,541 words telling you how you ought to live, set over 3,000 years ago in a nomadic and agrarian culture that couldn't be any different than the way we live today. And so clearly relevant and exciting. (laughs) But friends, it's so good. It's so good if you have ears to hear what God might be speaking to us through it. And so we're still going to talk about it. We're still going to read it. However, instead of an entire fall series, I'm going to do it in two weeks. So you're welcome. With that said, we've got a lot of ground to cover, so let's jump right in. Here now a reading from Leviticus, starting with chapter 1. The Lord summoned Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, say, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any of you bring an offering of livestock to the Lord, you shall bring an offering from your herd or from your flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you shall offer a male without blemish. You shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meetings for acceptance in your behalf before the Lord. You shall lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be acceptable in your behalf as an atonement for you. The bull shall be slaughtered before the Lord and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall offer the blood, dashing the blood against all sides of the altar that is at the tent entrance of the tent of meetings. The burnt offering shall be flayed and and cut up into its parts. The son of the priests of Aaron shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange arrange the parts with the head and the suet, which is like the hard white fat, on the wood that's on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs shall be washed with water. Then the priest shall turn the whole into smoke on the altar as a burnt offering, an offering by fire of pleasing odor to the Lord. If your gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, your offering shall be a male without blemish. Shall be slaughtered on the north side of the altar before the Lord and Aaron's sons, the priest shall dash its blood against all sides of the altar. It shall be cut up into its parts with its head and suet and the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar, but its entrails and legs shall be washed with water Then the priest shall offer the whole and turn it into smoke on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire of pleasing odor to the Lord. If your offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, you shall choose your offering from turtle doves or pigeons. The priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and turn it into smoke on the altar and its blood shall be drained out against the sides of the altar. He shall remove its crop with its contents. If you've never slaughtered a bird before, the crop is like a muscular sack that keeps undigested food in its throat. You got to remove it before you slaughter it. 
and throw it on the east side of the altar in the place for ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings without severing it. Then the priest shall turn it into smoke on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire of pleasing odor to the Lord. Like I said, a literary brick wall. Now I've received some feedback that services have been too short for some people's liking. So now please join me as we read the entire second chapter of Leviticus. I know how bad that is. When anyone presents a grain offering to the Lord, the offering shall be of choice flour. The worshiper shall pour it on, pour oil on it but, and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons. The priest, after taking from it a handful of choice flour and oil with all its frankincense, the priest shall turn this token portion into smoke on the altar, an offering by fire of pleasing odor to the Lord." And what is left of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons, the most holy part of the offering by fire to the Lord. When you present a grain offering baked in the oven, it shall be of choice flour, unleavened cakes mixed with oil or unleavened wafers spread with oil. If your offering of grain is prepared on a griddle, it shall be of choice flour mixed with oil, unleavened. Break it into pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. If your offering of grain is prepared in a pan, it shall be made of choice flour and oil. You shall bring it to the Lord, the grain offering that is prepared in any of these ways. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall take it to the altar. The priest shall remove from it, remove from it the grain offering. It's a token portion and turn it into smoke on the altar an offering by fire of pleasing odor to the Lord. And what is left of the grain offering shall be offered to Aaron and his sons. It is the most holy part of the offering by fire to the Lord. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. You must not turn any leaven or honey into smoke as an offering by fire to the Lord. You may bring them to the Lord as an offering of choice products, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing odor. You shall not omit from your grain offering the salt of the covenant with your God. With all of your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you bring a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall bring as the grain offering of your first fruits, coarse new grain from fresh ears, parched with fire, you shall add oil to it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering, and the priest shall turn a token portion of it into smoke, some of the coarse grain with oil and all its frankincense. It is an offering by fire to the Lord. Friends, I hope you were taking notes, because that is the word of God for the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. <laughs> Let's talk. I know the language of, of ringing birds' necks and splashing animal blood on all sides of the altar might be hard to connect with, um, but let's, let's see what we can find in here. Essentially, the book of Leviticus is concerned with, with two things, our connection with God and our connection with neighbor. It all boils down to how one lives in whole and healthy community with the divine and how one lives in whole and healthy community with each other. At least that, that's relatable. So the book begins with clear 
like super graphic and repetitively clear instructions for public worship. There are several chapters, the first six just to get started, that are devoted to sacrifices like these. And while there may be uh, several different life uh, occasions that would cause you to need to make one of these sacrifices, there are functionally only two types. There were Thanksgiving sacrifices and oops, I did it again, sacrifices. All right, in their their public worship, there were two ever-present and complementary postures that one would take towards God and towards neighbor. There's thanksgiving and confession. There's praise and apology. There's gratitude and, and regret. They had rituals to memorialize when things were going well. And they also had rituals to memorialize when things were going sour. Cards on the table. This week, I want to gently pass on a conversation surrounding thanksgiving and gratitude. Not because it's not important, but but this topic is so heavily covered in popular psychology and religion. We talk about it a lot, and we will talk about it again If you search gratitude on Amazon, you will find gratitude journals for every occasion under the sun, for every demographic that could possibly exist, because widely as a society, we've come to realize the the spiritual and physiological benefits of gratitude, of having a grateful heart. I bet many of us have already come up with our own rituals, dare I say, uh, offerings of, of gratitude. Uh, in which we start our day. So instead, I want to look at these ancient traditions of confession, these I'm sorry sacrifices, these rituals of regret. And, and I'll, I'll say it again, I get that an initial reading of, of animal sacrifices can seem wildly foreign. So let's try to humanize them a little bit. Humor me. 3,000 years ago, your dad is a well-respected and hardworking member of this ancient community. It's from the tribe of Judah, and so his camp and his flock are just north of the tabernacle, the tent of meetings. He's everything you'd want for a dad, even though he's got a short fuse from time to time. And one day you hear a commotion as one of the the neighbor's flocks have gotten loose and they caused some damage to your family's property and they got into your stored grain. And you all sit down. You could tell that your dad was on the edge as he said nothing as you ate dinner. Little did you know your dad was furious, like angrier than he has ever been. Little did you know that that was the last of your grain that he had been portioning out your grain for months to make sure everyone would stay fed. Little did you know that after falling asleep, your dad marched over to the neighbor's farm and began taking grain to make up for the damages caused. And little did you know, he he got in a fight with the neighbor and ended up hurting the neighbor's eldest son. And so what what does he do now? You can't just move to New York or call Judge Judy 
what does he do? How does he make things right? How do you go on living in a community with people you're all related to, with the people of God? How do you make things right when hurt has been caused? Well, he has to go to his herd, his prized possessions, and he has to pick out his best ram, the one with no spots, the one with no defects, his perfect prized ram. And it's a family farm, so he's got to sit down with his brothers and sisters and tell them why he's about to burn their greatest asset. He's got to sit you and your siblings down and tell you why he's going to march through the center of camp and stand next to the priests and why he's going to sacrifice your favorite ram. And the whole camp knows, the entire community, they're aware this is happening. They might not know the details of what went down, but they, they can smell the burning meat. They can sense the cloud of regret in the air. It's humbling. It's costly. It's communal. Yes, it's still foreign, but it's, it's widely human. And I wonder what that would do to a community. I wonder what that happening over and over, new leaders of the community coming forward in such a manner, what that would do for a community over time. A public ritual of regret. I almost wish we had something like that. Not quite like that, but like that. Do you know what comes up when you search Amazon for regret journals? (laughs) Nothing. There are no journals to help you keep track of your daily regrets, but there is. You can search it. Check it out. There's a whole movement of I regret nothing journals. You can buy them. Two-day shipping. They'll be at your house. Now, don't raise your hand, but have you ever heard someone saying, I have no regrets? All of my mistakes have made me who I am today. Okay, psychopath. (laughs) I think we need to be clear about what we're talking about. I'm going to be direct, no surprise. Uh, I think we've become such an individualistic and an egocentric culture that when we think about regret, we often think about something along the lines of, well, my life would have turned out so much better if I had just done this. Like newsflash, it's not actually about you. You see, true, healthy, communal regret recognizes that every single person that we have ever come into contact with has in one form or another experienced hurt, pain, and suffering. Can we agree on that? There has never been a life lived without some form of pain and suffering. Next, there is a 100% chance that each and every one of us at one point or another, whether we intended to or not, have all contributed to someone else's hurt, pain, and suffering. True? 
deep soulful regret isn't an individualistic game of how my life could be better if. It's a heartfelt owning of our own perpetuation of hurt, pain, and suffering in the world. A life without regret, a community without confession, it's a blatant denying of our sacred connection with all of humanity and a refusal to admit that everyone, 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 everyone contributes to the mess from time to time. You might not regret the mistake, but I bet you the person on the receiving end does. To be a community of welcome, we have to create a space for for regret and confession. We have to ritualize the recognition that we all fall short. The point is not to beat ourselves up or to create a a dirty self-image as totally deprived human beings. We're simply raising our hand and proclaiming, yeah, I messed that one up. Everyone's been there. Everyone knows that feeling. Everyone has regret. Maybe you've been told to repress it, told to silence it, told to try to live without it, but as long as you have a soul, you've experienced it. And often the best way to hold your regret, uh, to live in community with fellow regretters, is to own it, to name it, to publicly recognize it and then to move on from it. We do, as a church, as a society, we do a really good job of having a posture of thanksgiving, right? having practices of gratitude, but what would it look like to reclaim the ancient tradition of confession? What would it look like to allow our mistakes and regrets to be seen by those around us? Can you imagine how perfectly flawed that community would be? Those are the messed up kind of people I think I could hang out with. So here's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna, we're gonna get Levitical together. You all have a slip of paper in your bulletin. If you didn't grab a bulletin, there's also little scribble and note slips in your pew, and so if you don't have one, grab one. In just a moment, Howard and Al are going to play some music for us. Uh, during which, and there should be some pencils scattered throughout the pews too. During the music, you're going to be invited to write down some of your regrets. Doesn't matter whether they are big or small. Doesn't matter whether they are recent or from decades ago. Write them down and hold on to them because when it comes time to come forward for communion, you're gonna be invited to bring them and drop them in a glass bowl. Don't worry, they will not be read or shared or even seen again. How can I be so certain? They may not be a slaughtered bowl or a headless turtle dove, but we're gonna light them on fire all the same. We're going to turn our regrets into, and I quote, a burnt offering, an offering by fire of pleasing odor to the Lord. 
And so family of God, I invite you to turn inward. Find the tightness in your shoulders. Find the turning in your chest. Find the place where you have been stashing regrets and write them down. Write down a name. Write down a name. I said that twice. Write down a date. Write down a location. Write down anything that symbolizes regret you may be holding. Write them down. Hold on to them until we have a chance to offer them up together. Thank mm-hmm. you.